Okay, so we're going to start out the, the message today with a bit of a review of what happened the last couple of weeks. But uh, in order to uh, make it a little more fun and interesting, we are going to up the stakes with prizes for our review today. And the prizes are these great Clearwater beanies that have the church thing on, embroidered on here and a nice puffball on top. And um, you can get one of these beanies if you know the answers to my review questions. So last week, Pastor Mike uh, was here, but two weeks ago, I was preaching and when I was here, uh, each person was given a small object to keep as a uh, reminder for one of the key lessons from that week's message. So who knows what it was? Just uh, I, put, uh, Josh put his hand up first. What was it, Josh? A puzzle piece. Josh gets a hat for knowing it was a puzzle piece. There we go. Now, extra bonus hat is available now. If anyone has their puzzle piece with them today, Phil thinks he might have his. He's got it. Phil wins a hat. Okay. So the reason for the puzzle pieces was that... Um, they were to be a reminder that every one of you is an important piece of our church and that it's when we all come together that we, um, that we fit together to make a beautiful picture. And uh, we took that idea from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, From him, that is Jesus, the whole body, which means the church, the body... Uh, is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So that idea of each part of the church, each person in the church doing their work in order to make the whole thing uh, grow and build itself up in love. And so the puzzle pieces were to remind you that you are a part of something much bigger than yourself. You are a part of the church, and you are an essential part of the puzzle, and we need each person to do their part in order for the picture to be complete. And if you don't do your part, then the puzzle will have a gap in it. And we all know how frustrating that is when you build a puzzle and there's gaps in your puzzle. So uh, we need you. In fact, the world needs you to do your part so that our church can be all that it can be. And there are many important ways to be a part and to be a puzzle piece and a part of a church. And the biggest one is just through the relationships that you have with the other people in the church and the friendships and being an encouraging friend and praying for each other and being part of a journey group together, helping each other with different uh, kinds of things we need help with and, and, and just being part of the community together. But also, you know, you play your part as a puzzle piece by serving on ministry teams like we were just hearing about. And, um, and we needed people to, to do their, their parts in that uh, area as well. And so, um, so these are great opportunities for you to, to find your fit in the church and to, uh, to volunteer to be a part of what makes our church great. I think I'm really looking forward to, we do have coffee this morning. We have Claudie Brothers and Starbucks. You can take your pick. If you, you can, I, I won't be offended if you get up right now and go get yourself some coffee. There's Starbucks is over there under the tent and the 
Claudia's is right here. Yes, go get some coffee. Today is a day for hot drinks in your hand. Um, but I love that we have coffee uh, on Sunday mornings at Wendler, and I love that we have some, uh, some muffins and cookies and different things there uh, on Sunday mornings too. But we need the teams to, to put all that together and, uh, and just make our church a great place to be on Sunday mornings having all the, it's not just the chairs, but all the curtains and all the decorations and all the Sunday school stuff and all that makes Wendler a welcoming place for us to be. We really want people when they walk in the door to feel good about being there and to be, uh, to feel good about the people around them. So we have friendly greeters, like my wife is the best one, it's true, but, uh, but we have friendly greeters that greet people when they come in the door and make the place look attractive uh, as much as we can in a cafeteria at a middle school, but Make it look good and, uh, and have a great worship service there. But we need the teams to, to make that all happen. So um, including the food and the coffee and everything. Okay, so that, that's uh, uh, the puzzle piece thing. We have more questions. You still have another chance to win a hat. That was two weeks ago we talked about the puzzle pieces. Now last week, I have kind of a weird question about last week's uh, service. And that is... What was Pastor Mike wearing when he got up to preach last week? No, last week. Greg has his hand up. What was he wearing? Yes, he was wearing a weird, ugly, old blue bathrobe. Here you go. That was last week with the bathrobes, yes. <laughs> so, um, so he was wearing, and it was an old, stinky, ugly bathrobe that we found in like a box of like old uh, costumes. It was probably from some, uh, you know, uh, Christmas pageant where somebody wanted to be a shepherd, and they think the shepherds walked around in their bathrobes all the time, so that's what they used. So, but uh, and then he changed. Um, into a beautiful new Hotel Alieska bathrobe um, in order to illustrate an illustration from the Bible where the Bible uses in Ephesians, it talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And here's a passage that talks about that. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So your old self is being corrupted by deceitful desires. And I just, you know, why are they deceitful? It's because they promise things that they won't deliver. So your greedy desires say, if you just get some more money, you'll be satisfied and happy. But the truth is, greed is never satisfied. It always wants more. And the old self is full of those kinds of simple desires, desires for all kinds of things. And it sells you, uh, you'll, you'll be happy, you'll, you'll feel satisfied, you'll be uh, fulfilled if you just seek after this thing. And the reality is those are deceitful desires because they will not fulfill you and make you happy. And so we are told that we need to put off that old life with all those deceitful desires and put on the new. 
Uh, here at Clearwater, we practice baptism by immersion. And one of the reasons that we do it that way is the power of the symbol that we are acting out as we are baptized. Because as a new Christian goes under the water in baptism, it's a symbol of their old life and their old self being dead and buried under the water. And so the old life is gone. And then when you come up out of the water in baptism, you are being reborn or it's symbolizing you're being reborn into a new birth of a new self. And that is a spiritual reality for all Christians, whether you were baptized that way or not. We're just symbolizing it. But when we put our trust in Jesus, we are saved and we are born again. Our old life is over and our new life begins. However, sometimes uh, we're still wearing the stinky old robe of the old self. We're still acting like we did in our old life and w because we are not instantly transformed. It's not an instant transformation. We have a new life, but the change from the old self to the new self is a lifelong process. At salvation, the new life begins, the transformation begins, and that's what we're symbolizing in the baptism, the beginning of a new life, where we're now be moving forward, moving towards spiritual maturity, where we're becoming a people full of God where we are striving to put off the old self and to put on the new. But it isn't quite as easy as changing our bathrobe, right? Partly because the deceitful desires of sin are still working in us. And it's hard to resist those deceitful desires sometimes. Even when we know that they're being deceitful and we know this isn't really going to bring me fulfillment, but it does give you cheap thrills, temporary pleasures, and so it can be hard to resist. And so the Bible needs to tell us, put off the old, put on the new, renew your minds, strive toward holiness. And our transformation happens best when we're part of a church, when we are puzzle pieces fitted together to make the church whole, and each one of us is doing our part to make the whole thing grow and be built up in love. And so you need each other. We all need each other to really make that progress toward holiness. So we grow in community. Individuals grow as the church grows, and the church grows as the individuals grow. So find your fit in the church. Put off your old self. Put on the new. So that's, that's my review of the last couple of weeks. And uh, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a moment to pray because I didn't pray at the beginning. I went straight into handing out hats. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at our new section for this week in Ephesians chapter 4. Our Heavenly Father... Thank you for giving us a new life and a fresh start on, on life and the ability to make progress toward righteousness and holiness. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue working in each one of our lives, continue working in our church so that the people of our church will grow and our church will grow toward all that it can be. I pray that we will be a people full of God. And I pray that today as we look at this section of your word that we would 
resonate with what it says and that we would accept the truth here and, and that we would know how to act according to truth. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, we are starting with verse 25 today where it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So this section starts with that word, therefore, which ties it very tightly to what he's just been talking about. He's been saying, put off the old man, put on the new, and because you have this new life, therefore... And then he goes into a series of examples of what he's talking about. What does it mean to put off the old man and to put on the new? And so he gives a a whole bunch of of specific instructions on what that means. And um, so we have the basic principle of putting off the old and putting on the new, and now we get these concrete examples And the first one is to put off lies and to speak the truth. But before we uh, get into the details of these specific commands, I want to talk a little bit about um, a basic principle that's being taught here, uh, something that's being uh, implied by these instructions. And that is that God has the right to define right and wrong and to tell you what to do. God has the right to define right and wrong for you and tell you what you must do. So on the one hand, that's kind of obvious, right? We all kind of accept that God gives commands. That's what he does. But on the other hand, it's not quite as obvious as it seems at first. In fact, I would say that this is one of the biggest differences between the old self's way of thinking and the way of thinking of the new self. In verse 23, it says, uh, we need to be, be made new in the attitude of your mind. And this is one of those attitudes of your mind that we need to be made new in. Because this is not the way that people naturally think. Most people, we don't want someone else telling us what to do. (laughs) We don't want someone else telling us what's right and what's wrong. We want to be morally autonomous. We want to make our own decisions. I can decide for myself what is right and what is wrong for me, thank you very much. And that's true for people everywhere. But I don't think there's anywhere that it is a more powerful cultural trait than it is in the United States. The autonomy of the individual to make their own decisions is just a a, a strong thing. We want people to be able to decide for themselves what is right for them. And so we insist on the right of the individual not to be dictated to about what is right and wrong for them. So don't tell me I have to get a vaccine. Don't tell me that I can't have an abortion. Don't tell me that I have to bake a cake for a gay wedding. Don't tell me that I can't use the bathroom for the gender that I identify as. 
See, we all don't want to be told what to do. We want to decide for ourselves. When we, we say things like, oh, yeah, that, that might be right, wrong for you, but you make your decision, I'll decide for myself what's right and wrong for me. And if we're religious and we accept the idea, okay, fine, religion teaches us morality, um, and, and, and we're going to allow this moral instruction from our religion, it should be as general principles, right? Because if, if religion is, is, uh, limits itself to things like put off the old man with his deceitful desires, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or love your neighbor as yourself, Right? As, long as, as long as we keep it in general principles like that, which we have in the scriptures, we have all those general principles, um, if we're going to be told what to do, we want it to, to come in those kind of general principles that are open to a broad interpretation. Because then we are left in most circumstances to still make our own decision about how that applies, and we still have our own moral, uh, our own moral autonomy to decide what's right and wrong in, in most situations. We can still decide for ourselves. We can have our own opinions about what it really means to love your neighbor as yourself. But God in the Bible, while we do get general principles, it doesn't stop there. God does give us these general principles, and it's a good thing that he does, because there are many times when we do come into situations that the Bible does not directly address, and we need general principles to guide us, to help us know what is God's will in those, in those times. But we also have, in the Bible, many very specific instructions that tell us what is right and what is wrong in specific situations. And they serve as examples of how to apply those general principles. So here's the point. You are not an independent judge of what is right for you and what is wrong for you. God decides what is morally right and wrong. And our moral judgment is limited to trying to discern what God wants us to do in a particular situation not deciding for ourselves what is right and wrong in that situation. And many times the Bible does give us very specific instructions and specific teaching about particular sinful actions and particular good actions. And we do not get to decide differently from what God has told us. So we've been doing these affirmations lately where we all say together things that we're, uh, we're learning from the sermon. And this is the first one for today. We've got several of them today. So we're just going to do it as a repeat after me thing. Um, so I'll, I'll read it first, and then you can all repeat after me if you are ready to affirm this. So here's what the first affirmation is. It is, God has the right to define right and wrong and to tell me what I should do. So let's repeat that. God has the right to define right and wrong and to tell me what I should do. Okay, now let's, let's go back from that general principle. My pages have flipped a little bit here. Where am I? Um, to uh, our verse from Ephesians chapter 4 and the specific one that we're looking at now. 
It says, 425, it says, uh, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So this, this verse has three parts to it, and it is a pattern for all of these instructions to come. The three parts are, um, first, uh, put, uh, to describe what part of the old self we are told to put off. And so in this verse, it is uh, put off falsehood, put off telling lies. And, uh, and yes, that's a pretty basic moral instruction. But at the same time, it's one that many of us struggle to really follow, right? Don't tell lies is not exactly cutting-edge ethics, right? But, but boy, sometimes there's just so many situations where it seems like it would be beneficial to us to not tell the truth, um, or at least, uh, you know, implying a lie would provide a, a better outcome than telling the truth. But here's the thing, whether we can see how telling the truth is going to help us or not, it is always wrong to speak lies. Putting off the old self includes putting off falsehood. So that's the first part, where it tells us which part of the old self we need to put off. And then the second part, it says, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Put off falsehood and put on truth. So that's what the new man that we are to be putting on is to speak truthfully to your neighbor. So speaking the truth is, of course, more than just not telling lies. So remember, we had that famous saying from a couple of weeks ago where it said, uh, it, it, the verse told us that speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. And that speaking the truth in love, we talked about that a little bit, uh, that uh, truth and love are an essential combination. Neither one is, is sufficient without the other. It, you can have love that does not speak the truth. That is a, dis, a deficient uh, action. And of course, truth that is spoken without love is also deficient. We must have both. We must speak the truth, and we must speak in love. So put off the old self of falsehood and put on the new self of speaking the truth in love. And then the third part of each instruction as we go through here is uh, the stated reason why we should put off and put on. And in this verse, it's given as, for we are all members of one body. So one of the key reasons that we must deal honestly with one another is because of the community that we share together. Few things will destroy community more quickly than lies. When we cannot trust what, what we say to each other, our community is not what God wants it to be. And the unity of the church is one of the key themes of all of Ephesians, trying to persuade these people to seek unity, seek the unity of the church. God wants us to be a unified church. We are all members of one body. We are the church, and we must not tell lies, for we are all members of one 
body. So here's the next affirmation. If you believe this and are ready to commit to it, you can repeat after me. It says, uh, I'll say it first and then we'll do it together. As a member of the body of Christ, I will put off falsehood and speak the truth in love. So let's say that together. As a member of the body of Christ, I will put off falsehood and speak the truth in love. Okay, we're going to move on to the next example that's given in the text here of what it means to put off the old and put on the new. And it says in verse 26, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you were still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So again, we see those three elements. They're not worded quite the same as they were in the first one, but they're, they're all three there. It's put off, put on, and a reason. So put off sinful anger. Put on the practice of timely resolution of your anger. And the reason is because otherwise you are giving the devil a foothold. So first, we need to put off sinful anger. And there's a couple of interesting uh, points to be made by that, uh, that uh, phrase there. First one, it's implied here that it, you can be angry without sinning, right? It says, in your anger, do not sin. So there is such a thing as righteous anger. And in fact, we know from other places in Scripture that it is good and right for us to be angry at sin. Uh, Jesus himself was sometimes angry. But we have to be careful because this first little observation cannot be your big takeaway from this verse. If you say, oh, look at this verse, man. Here's what I learned. I learned that it's okay to be angry sometimes. And uh, anger is not always sinful. Well, yes, um, but this is an instruction about what it means to take off the old self. This is a warning. This is an instruction of don't be sinfully angry. And most of the time when we are angry, it is sinful anger. Most of the time we're angry because someone did something that's affecting you in a way that you don't like, and so you're angry. And as the Bible says in the book of James, it says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So again, it, slow to become angry implies that eventually it's okay to get angry. <laughs> so there is a place for anger in our lives. But, but what we need to remember here is the main idea is uh, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So, so back to our Ephesians text, it's helpful for us to look at what it says. It means to put on the new self in this area. If we want to understand, well, how do we avoid sinful anger? Well, it says to put on the new self means to not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And of course, um, 
it should be pretty obvious that this is not uh, to be taken super literally. It's not about what the position of the sun is in the sky when you're angry. Um, the, the, the idea here is that anger needs to be resolved quickly. And that doesn't mean that you just stuff your anger after a few hours. Dealing with anger effectively and properly means that you resolve the thing that has made you angry. So many times that means that you need to lovingly confront the person who made you angry. Uh, rather than just silently stewing about it for a month. And maybe you need a friend to help you resolve the situation. Other times, not letting the sun go down while you're still angry simply means confessing your anger to God, forgiving the other person, and trusting God to bring the situation to a resolution. So why do we need to put off single, uh, sinful anger and put on a quick resolution to our anger? Because otherwise, we are giving the devil a foothold in our lives. When we harbor grudges and we stay angry about things, we are setting ourselves up for failure. To stay angry is to give an opportunity for temptation and sin to stay in your life and in our church. And again, a big part of this has to do with the community of the church. When we have conflicts in the church, we need to resolve them, not simply stuff them down or not simply stew on them for months. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry or you will give the devil a foothold to cause problems in the church. So here's the next affirmation that uh, we can say it together. I'll read it first, and then we can say it together. It says, I will avoid giving the devil opportunity in my life by being slow to anger and resolving anger quickly. So let's say that together. I will avoid giving the devil opportunity in my life by being slow to anger and resolving anger quickly. The next example in uh, verse 28, it says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So the three elements, again, are here in this one. Put off stealing, put on useful work, and the reason, so that you will have something to share with those who are in need. Now, again, this one seems uh, fairly uh, basic at first to prohibit theft. Not exactly a uh, revolutionary uh, piece of ethics there. Um, but let's not be too quick to excuse ourselves. So when it says, talking about stealing here, it's not only talking about these guys that, uh, that, that smashed the door and came into our building at uh, Spinard the other day and tried to rob our safe, which, uh, of course, we never had the combination to the safe. We're pretty sure it's empty. Uh, but they got in there and tried to steal the safe. Um, but, but anyway, that, that's not the only kind of stealing that there is. 
Um, there's also uh, more subtle uh, types of stealing that we might be more tempted to, because most of us probably are not going to break into a building and try to steal a safe. But what about re not reporting your cash tips on your income tax? What about acting like all that damage on your car was from the accident that you're putting in a claim for? You know, there are, there are other examples of more tempting and subtle forms of stealing. And we can expand that idea, really, beyond theft to all areas of financial dealings. Putting off the old self means that we must be totally honest in all of our financial dealings. Putting on the new self is, is just as it is in the other cases, is not simply putting off the sin. And okay, so you stop stealing, now you're done. No, there's, there's something you must also put on. And the thing that you're putting on is useful work. You see, our work is important to God. When we cook in a restaurant or build a house or design a road or whatever it is we're doing, and we do it in the right way, we are putting on the new self. God wants us to do useful work. He has designed us to work, and he cares about what we do and how we do it. And, and, and not just the work that you're getting paid for, of course. There's also much useful work that doesn't get paid also. And God cares about that work too. So put off theft in all of its forms and put on useful work. Why? And the reason is kind of interesting here. Uh, he doesn't just say, you know, what we might have thought, well, you, you need to work so that you won't be a burden to others. Or you need to work so that you can provide for yourself. No, he says, uh, we need to do work so that we can have enough to help others who have needs. And that's actually a pretty consistent moral teaching throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The people of God are to be a people who are generous toward those who have needs. So much so that the reason that we work hard, the reason that we, we, we seek to, 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 to provide for ourselves and provide extra income and more than we need and things is, is so that we can be generous toward those who have needs. We want more uh, income so that we can give more away. It's not just so that we can buy nicer things for ourselves. It's so that we can have to to give to those who have needs. So here's another affirmation to say today. I'll, say, I'll read it first, then we'll say it together. I will be honest in all financial dealings and do useful work so that I can be generous toward those in need. So let's say that together. I will be honest in all financial dealings and do useful work so that I can be generous toward those in need. The next examples of putting off the old and putting on the new, verse 29 and 30. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This one uh, is our memory verse for this month, so hopefully you, this looks familiar to you. Um, so be working on that memory verse and thinking about this one. This is a Another key idea here about what it means to put off the old man and put on the new. And what we are to put off this time is what the Bible calls unwholesome talk. And to put off unwholesome talk, it means a lot more than just, uh, uh, you know, taking, uh, cleaning up some swear words from your speech. Unwholesome talk is any talk that is unhelpful and harmful and unwholesome to the people around you. And there are forms of speech that are much more unwholesome than profanity. Gossip, harsh criticism, slander, insults, bad moral advice, uh, teaching false things about God. All of those kinds of speech can be done without using any profanity at all, but they are most unwholesome. And yes, dirty jokes are unwholesome too, but, but we need to be careful not to define unwholesome talk uh, in a way that uh, is so narrow that we ourselves are not uh, tempted by it. <laughs> and again, the solution to... Uh, unwholesome talk is not just keep your mouth shut, although there are some times that some of us should probably just keep our mouth shut, but, but he doesn't just say, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Stop. Now what are we to put on? We are to put on uh, words that are helpful for building others up. So encouragement, good moral advice, clean, funny jokes, good stories, uh, the truths about God. There's all kinds of ways that we can speak to one another and, and, and talk together that can build one another up. And sometimes even confronting someone about their sin is good, helpful talk uh, that is part of putting on the new self. And yes, this kind of speech happens when we're in a Bible study in a small group or something and we're all discussing the Bible together then we are doing this kind of talk. But it's, it, it's got to go beyond that. It should be a normal part of our lives that we are consistently looking for ways to speak words that will be helpful for building others up and build up those who listen. And the reason given this time is, again, a little bit of a surprising one. He says the reason we should do this is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, when we speak words to one another that are harmful and unwholesome and tearing each other down, God himself is grieved. Because you see, that person that you're gossiping about, that person who is being harmed by hearing your gossip, are both people that God loves. And when we tear down people that God loves, he is grieved. 
And of course, the opposite is also true. When we speak words that build people up who God loves, God is pleased. Our words are powerful. Right? The Bible says this in in the book of James. It says, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. So this passage in James there is is warning about the evils of speech. Uh, The power of our words can also be used for great good to build one another's up. So our last affirmation for today is this. I will please God by only speaking words that are helpful for building others up. So let's say that together. I will please God by only speaking words that are useful for building others up. So, put off the old self, put on the new self. Being a Christian means that our old life, the life that is the same as the way the rest of the world lives, our old way of thinking, the same way that the rest of the world thinks, that life ends when we put our faith in Jesus. And a new life begins. We are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to new life with him. But the work of putting off the old self and putting on the new self is a lifelong journey. We make progress. We are not where we once were, but we are not there yet. And we must uh, continue to move as God's help us, as God helps us, working toward putting off the old and putting on the new. And we must look to God's word for guidance on exactly what that means. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have given us a new life. And we pray now that your spirit would be at work within us to help us to know how to put off the old and put on the new and to give us the power to do it. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.